opportunity for us to study His Word together. I'm going to take the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 23 this morning in a study that I've entitled, The Ravages of the Romans. Last week as we studied, we saw the religious trials as the Sanhedrin the chief priests, both of them, Annas, Caiaphas, as Jesus has bounced back and forth illegally three times between these religious groups. He is now going to be taken to Pilate. And we'll see the three political trials this morning. And when I use the term political trials, I use it very carefully. Because there is nothing but a political motivation here. These three trials will also be illegal. They will have no basis in fact. They will be based on a lie, an initial lie. There will be further lies told in the course of this particular first trial. And then he'll be bounced over to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And this is completely a political move. And so when you look at these six trials, you see the two places that to this day the Lord Jesus is put on trial. The world of religion, because it is in fact only biblical Christianity that holds Jesus in his rightful place. That he is the only Son of God, that He is the only way, the only truth, the only way that leads unto salvation. He is, in fact, the only name under heaven whereby men may be saved. He is tried in the court of religion. All religions claim to have some attachment to a supreme being, a higher authority, perhaps God. Islam does, Hinduism does, animism pertains to connection to the earth. All religion is forced to put Jesus on trial. Has to happen. Why? Because if Jesus is who he declared himself to be, then everyone one day will have to give an account of what they did with the knowledge of Jesus. He's still on trial there. Today we see the second primary way that Jesus is on trial. In the court of public opinion. The court of government. And if you can't see that in our world today, Uh, you probably need to do a bit more reading. If you can't see that you can be almost anything in our world except for a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christian, and you will have zero problems with most of the world's governments. But the moment you make declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord, all of a sudden you have problems with almost every major governmental system in the world. 
That seems harsh, but it is nonetheless true, including our own government to some degree. Now, I don't suspect that we'll have federal agents storm through the doors and arrest all of us this morning, but that day may well be coming. It is entirely possible that we may live long enough to see, unfortunately, that day, when the name of Jesus will be illegal. It is already illegal in the military. You cannot pray nor preach in Jesus' name in the U.S. military now. You may not do that. California Highway Patrol got rid of their chaplains for that very reason. Don't want it to be too much about this Jesus guy. Our state. Talk about God all day long. But don't talk about Jesus. He's still on trial. And so this morning, verse 1 says, And then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. So the religious court is going to take him to the political court. They're in cahoots. That connection still exists. The religious court still puts Jesus on trial before the political court. Pilate had tremendous connections in Rome. He, he was appointed uh, by Sejanus, who was one of the men behind the scenes uh, who governed actually the Senate of Rome. He was appointed by Augustus Caesar. Before him, Tiberius Caesar. He's outlived uh, one Caesar. He will outlive a second. Very, very powerfully connected political player in the world of Rome. And as Herod the Great's son now is in power in the region of Palestine, remember there's a dynasty called the Herodian dynasty that's because of the Herods, plural, not one of them, but four of them in total, three of them very prominent. Herod the Great, the tremendous builder, the Temple Mount that existed that day and the temple on it was built by Herod the Great. It was his building project. It was expanded, beautified, and so here is this beautiful temple that was actually built by Herod the Great. Herod the Great's palace also in Jerusalem at that time, along with the Antonio Fortress, the home of the Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard was very much like our secret service today. They were responsible for protecting those who were high up in the power places of Rome. And so they would go wherever there would be a governor, or perhaps if the emperor himself were traveling, that guard would travel with them. Normally a Roman garrison for each officer of the political genre of those who were Roman leaders. And so they would travel around together. And so now we find in power, uh, after Herod Archelaus has died, he served only four years, uh, he's dead. Now Herod Antipas is on the throne in the region of Palestine. He, in essence, is the big guy on campus. And it is that Herod, not Herod the Great, not Herod Archelaus, but Herod Antipas. If you remember, it was in fact Herod the Great who originally tried to have Jesus killed when he was born. 
And so Jesus has been at war with the Herod family. Now this is the third member of that family that's going to come into the picture. He ruled from the city of Tiberias, which if you travel today, that city is still there. You can see the ruins of Herod's former palace there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can walk around inside of the walls of that complex. In there also now is a synagogue. But there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberius Caesar had a palace there. And so this is a well-connected couple of people that we're going to see today. According to John, the Roman who leads the detachment into the Garden of Gethsemane is a Roman centurion. That normally means a commander of a thousand. It can also mean that he was a commander of a garrison or a tenth of a legion, which could be 600. But this man was a powerful man. And he was a member, no doubt, of the Praetorian Guard. It was that guard that was stationed in the Antonia Fortress. They watched over the ruling Herod. This is like coming against the President of the United States, the Secret Service, the governor of a state, and the ruler of a county. This is a big deal. The type of people that you, you don't want to get a summons in the court saying that the President of the United States has now sought to, to see you. And through his agent, the governor of the state of California is now going to see you in his office, and he's got some issues with you. This tribune that would come would be the only person in all of Jerusalem who would have been of the same social class as Pilate. They have pulled out all of the stops. Nothing about the Lord's activities to this point would have mandated or even remotely brought to pass this meeting. Nothing, Jesus. He has been obscure for the most part. He hasn't caused any problems. He has only done good. And so it is there that we find now the rest of the story for the next 24 verses. That verse leads us, and the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. That's what was behind the scenes, if you will, with regard to Pilate's position, his rule, his reign. He had almost unbridled, unlimited power, unbridled, unlimited resources, and unbridled and unlimited ability to punish at will for a reason or no reason. Jesus was not a member of Roman society. Romans were treated different, differently in Roman courts than were the common people, though the Roman courts were generally fair, and that's the sad part about this trial. The Romans brought with them wherever they went the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They're responsible for the roads that traveled all over the Middle East. They brought many good things. If you go today and travel to Israel, you travel up the coast, you'll see Herod's palace at Caesarea Maritima. And there you'll find the aqueduct, which travels well over a hundred miles in length from the springs on Mount Hermon and from the springs on Mount Carmel to bring water to that amazing coastal city. Lots of good things happened with the Romans. 
but they would fail Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we again just draw this time to uh, a close as we offer up this introduction, Lord. And now we ask that you would take your word and bring it to the forefront. Lord, this history is important, but your word is life. And so, God, speak to us by the power of your word, we pray. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, Notice three things here. There will be a second now set of trials. There will be three things that we'll notice here. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Is that true? It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said, isn't it? He said to render unto Caesar those things which are Caesar, and unto God the things which are God's. Not even true. This, in fact, is a lethal lie. Because there was nothing that you could say to the Romans that was more condemning, more damning, more potentially lethal than you were guilty of sedition, insurrection, anything about Caesar, anything about Rome. The Romans were actually very tolerant of most other things. And in fact, they rarely acted on other things. It was the power of Rome that they cared about. And so this lie is well placed. Saying that he himself is Christ, a king. In other words, when you made a pledge to Caesar, you pledged that Caesar is God. Also king. So this is a competing kingship, if you will, to Rome. And then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Same exact retort he makes. Yes, indeed I am the king of the Jews. Notice he didn't say I'm king of the Roman Empire. He made no reference or threat towards the kingdom of Rome. He just said, I'm the king of the Jews. And they're the ones that brought me here. And so Pilate said to the chief priest, rightly and correctly, and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. He's done nothing. But they were more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people. Notice how they just keep going at it with the lies. And they're lethal lies. It should have been case dismissed. It should have been, look, it's over. We don't need to talk about this anymore. This guy's done nothing. Zero. Zip. Nada. But is that not what happens today to the Lord Jesus' name in the public square? Well, you know, I mean, those Christians. Another shooting again in Europe. Shootings here in the United States. Killings. And the ridiculous statements that are made by our own foreign press secretary. Well, you know, Christians have been killing people for millennia. 
Well, no, actually, real Christians haven't been killing people for millennia. People who have falsely named the name of Christ as their reason for participating in the Crusades killed a whole bunch of Arabs during the Crusades. People claiming to be a Christian who had no link to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, absolutely murdered people during the Spanish Inquisition. Nutcases have bombed abortion clinics, a few of them. But no Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christian for the name of Christ with legitimacy has ever gone out and said, you know what, let's go kill a few people who don't know Jesus. It hasn't happened. There have been people who did not know the Lord, who in the name of the Lord did heinous things. You see, that lie still exists to this day. But they were all the more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. The truth of the matter is, they had nothing on Jesus. The three basic charges are groundless. Perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes, and he stirs up the people. Completely groundless without merit. Not only didn't happen, they were fabricated. And so you can imagine Pilate thinking, oh, king, is he? That would make Pilate sit up and take notice. That's something that you can say. Still happens today. Well, you know, Christians kill people in abortion clinics, you know, like 700 of them every minute now. There have been exactly six people total killed in attacks on abortion clinics. Total. That's it. Not like it's some massive, you know, every Baptist church has their little wing. Every Calvary Chapel, well, this is our abortion clinic bombing group. We meet on Tuesdays, we go and kill people. That is so anti-Christ. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is something the devil would do. That is not something Christians would do. Nor should they. You're never going to convert people by threatening to lop off their heads as Islam clearly teaches, by the way. Or you can pay the jinsa tax until they don't like you living in your home next to their home. And then they can revert that jinsa tax and raise it until you can no longer pay it and then kill you. You're not going to find that in biblical Christianity. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend, for his neighbor. That's what my Bible teaches about the character of Christ in this world. You see, Pilate knew that the Jews had been dispersed. He knew that they were a ragtag bunch even to this day. Yes, there was a high concentration of them in the region of Palestine at the time. Remember, that was created by the Romans. They're the ones who came up with the name. They had to call it something. They didn't want to call it the Jewish territory, so they called it Palestine. Filled with nomadic peoples. He should have simply dismissed it. But what does he do? Can't do it. Says he's innocent. 
hasn't done anything. All these things are false. Pilate hears a word that perks his interest. Beginning in Galilee to this place, he has an aha moment. Aha! Galilee! He's no longer my problem! Is this not a politician? This is a professional politician right here. I'll pass the buck and let somebody else deal with the issue. Notice as we pick up in verse 6, And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at that time. The Herod dynasty had palaces all over what we call Israel today. There are six of them still in existence where you can see either the ruin or parts of the buildings. They're fantastic. Masada happens to be one of those palaces. A cliffside palace hanging out 2,000 feet above the Dead Sea. Magnificent works of construction. And so they would simply get tired of one place. They would summer up near the Sea of Galilee. And then when it got a little too warm there, they would go up on the mountaintop palace in Masada where it would be a little cooler, have a little breeze. And so Herod is in Jerusalem at one of his many palaces. This is Herod Antipas. And so he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem. And now Herod saw Jesus, and he was exceedingly glad. you remember why? Jesus had said, oh, that fly fox. This is the one who killed his cousin, John the Baptist. I've been wanting to see this guy. I heard he does miracles. It's kind of like a carnival show, a little bit of something to do on the weekend. It's Friday night. You know, get a party hardy. Had Jesus coming over. Maybe he'll turn some water into wine. Heard he could do that. We got any dead people around? Maybe he can raise a couple of them up. We don't know what Herod was thinking, but I guarantee it was not setting Jesus free, nor was it doing anything kind to him. And now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him and hoped to see some miracle done by him. So you see the inference. It's like a sideshow. <laughs> this ought to be good. Let's crack open a few jugs of wine. We'll sit here and watch Jesus do some miracles. Wasn't interested in truth. And then they questioned him with many words, but he answered nothing. And the chief priest and the scribe stood and vehemently accused him. Notice Herod's not really accusing Jesus. It's still other religion that's accusing Jesus. And he's bringing him into the court of public opinion, the political correctness of the day, saying, look, let's try. We, you know, we can't have these Christians doing these things. We just silence this Jesus guy. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt. In the original language there, they beat him. It's a fairly mild rendering of the original words. Not severely yet, but they're punching him, they're kicking him, they're knocking, knocking him around, shoving him. And they mocked him 
arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and then sent him back to Pilate. Political trial number two. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other when they had previously been at enmity with each other. A change of venue. Remember, this is the one who put to death John the Baptist, the one whom the prophet Isaiah rightly said in chapter 40, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths of our God. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to tie Jesus' sandals. I, I, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. This is the same guy. Remember what John the Baptist did? He said, you know, the, the woman that you're marrying, um, that's, you're related to her. You can't do that. Later, Herod Antipas would be actually exiled with Herodias on an island. They would die together. You, you see, the world still does this today. Everything's okay with the world, but nothing's okay with Christians. You ever notice that? You can do anything, say anything, be as vile, vulgar, and despicable as you want, as long as you pay homage to the world. But the moment that you say Jesus Christ is Lord, He's the only way of salvation, that unless you believe in Him, you can't get to heaven, you start tossing that stuff around, and you will be persecuted. Herod looks at Jesus. I don't know what Jesus thought, but I know this. This is an absolute perfect picture of that old axiom. It actually is, is from uh, an Indian mystic, Katalaya, who said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Fourth century B.C. is kind of like the Indian Machiavelli. You know, he just had all kinds of little quips, wise things to say. It's not found in your Bible. Some people think that's in your Bible. It's not. But it's also true. The enemy of my enemy is also my friend. It is amazing when people have the same hatred for the same person or the same thing, how that immediately makes people who would otherwise not be friends. Isn't it weird how people join together in the hatred of Christ, the hatred of Christians, the hatred of righteousness, All you have to do is look at social media today. All you have to do is scan the Internet. All you need to do is watch ten minutes of television. You'll figure it out. The world hates Jesus. Because they love darkness more than they love the light. That's exactly what Jesus said. This action has an unexpected byproduct, if you will. Basically now... Pilate's going to get to see Jesus one more time. And Herod and Pilate will be, remain fast friends in the condemnation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They join together in that one central hatred. Can I tell you that that is exactly what the Middle East looks like right now? Because when you look at these Arab nations, they literally hate each other's guts. They would kill each other, and do kill each other quite frequently, except for when it comes to 
Christians and Jews, specifically the nation Israel. And the more the United States supports Israel, the more we will be hated by every Arab nation on the face of the earth. You want to see that in technicolor? A little country begins with a Y called Yemen. Oh, we've got this marvelous work going on there. You know, we're making headway. We're making inroads. The war on terrorism is over because, you know, we've just made everybody believe that Israel has the right to exist. Not. And our Messiah is a Jewish Messiah. Our king is a Jewish king. He's a Jewish carpenter. We will remain indebted to the Jewish people for Jesus Christ, our Savior, forever. Forever. But they're all linked together as long as they're hating on Christians and Jews. Primarily Jews, by the way. The reason I make that connection is by default, we've been adopted into the Jewish family. Amen? We're adopted sons and daughters. Jesus Christ came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Amen? So that's why we're hated. That's why we're called the great Satan. The only reason we're the great Satan and Israel is the little Satan is because we have a whole bunch more money and a bunch more army than they have, and Air Force. Otherwise, they'd be the great Satan. People still unite over hating anything to do with Jesus. Next, we see Pilate's personal dilemma. Three things that we can draw from this as we bring this passage to a close. And then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. So this group is very multifaceted, and it's important that you begin to see this. He's now been in the religious court. He's now been in the political court. And he has been in the court of public opinion, hasn't he? Same places that Jesus gets put on trial today. And though you and I were not there, you and I were there by default. When you read the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep, every last one of us, the iniquity of us all was laid on him, Jesus the Messiah. Read it when you get home. You see, when you realize that, then you see that whether you like to admit it or not, you were in the crowd too, and so was I. We were shouting, give us Barabbas. And when Pilate had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. There's nothing he's done that warrants this. No, neither did Herod. Herod found the same thing. Doesn't like Jesus, but he didn't find any fault that he should be killed. For I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death was done by him. And so the first thing we see is that Roman justice is spoken 
very well, like a proud Roman. Look, our courts work. Here's the things that happened. You presented your evidence. You brought the accused in. We gave him his day in court. We did that once. We sent him to a higher court. He went from the appellate court to the superior court, and Herod found no fault in him. You're bringing him back to me. You went on appeal. What do you want? He's innocent. Justice worked. The system worked. Pilate was fair. Pilate was fearless. He wasn't actually caving in yet until it looked like it was going to cause him a problem. It was he that marched his men to Jerusalem. It was Pilate that put up the symbol of the eagle. Have you ever wondered how the Nazis got the symbol of the eagle? They robbed it from the Romans. That's where it came from. Put it right there in front of the temple. Right as you're going up the ramp. Yeah, you can have your temple. But know this. We Romans will tell you when you can go there and when you can't. That day is coming, folks. I believe that day is coming to our country. If things don't change real soon, I think that day is coming when the government will be telling us when we can worship our God. We need a revival badly in our country. He also improved the water system, but he also wouldn't hesitate to turn his troops loose to crush any rebellion. So he was fair. He's facing his old foes. He didn't like Herod. He didn't like the high priests. He didn't like the Jewish Sanhedrin. He hated all of them. But for political expediency, verse 16, and therefore I will chastise him and release him. The high priests are about to lose their mind. You're going to do what? This is not going down the way we thought it was going to go down. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. Basically, Pilate is saying, look, I know your laws. I know our laws. Our laws have been set up so as to make sure that you realize we're mostly fair. So during your religious festival, we always release one of your own prisoners. Let's make it Jesus. He's innocent. And the religious trial is still going on. The hearts and the minds of the chief priests, the scribes, the rulers of the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the people, and the elders of the church. This crowd has every imaginable group of religious people in it you can possibly imagine. It is a large group. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Barabbas actually was an insurrectionist. Barabbas actually was a murderer. And they're saying, you can keep Jesus, kill him, give us Barabbas. And in the last days, men will call evil good and good evil. It started then. The last days began at the time of Christ. We have continued in the last days to this day. 
and we are getting very near the last day of the last days, plural. We're getting down to the end. It began then. That attitude is exactly the attitude that persists to this day. Give us Barabbas. And by the way, his name means actually son of a man. In other words, he's just a dude. He's a guy. He is absolutely not connected in any way, shape, or form to anybody of any great stature or power. It means son of a man. It's like saying, I am a son of a man, a human being. Somebody brought me into this world. It's about as benign a name as you can possibly have. Give us Barabbas. Dismissed him. What a perversion of justice. They're going to scourge Jesus. He's going to beat him. That word chastise is, is a pretty serious word. Jesus would face the Roman lash. The cat of nine tails. The Roman scourge. The Roman scourge was an instrument of torture and an instrument of intimidation. It was so violent that usually people did not survive the scourging. Rarely did anyone receive the maximum 40 lashes and live. Because it wasn't like we see in sanitized movies. Normally those lashes, sometimes as much as six to eight feet long, embedded with bone, lead balls, pieces of metal, sometimes broken shards of glass, would be lashed around the person's body and then pulled back with as much force as they could possibly muster, tearing open and exposing the organs of the victim. Well, I'll just chastise him and then let him go. Wasn't going to happen. Jesus wasn't going to be released. Because as Peter said in Acts 2, it was because of the foreordained plans of God that Jesus Christ was in this place. You see, his justice was distorted. Pilate invokes this tradition of letting a prisoner go. And at the same time, he turns the decision over to the false accusers. He says, okay. Why? Because it was politically expedient. It was for the sake of political correctness that Pilate said, you guys choose. He bought votes, basically. Though you didn't get to vote in the Roman world. But in essence, loyalty was purchased that day. Look, I'll make you guys friends. You're my enemy. Now you'll be my friend too. Because I'm going to do exactly what you want, even though it's the wrong thing. Tried in the court of public opinion. Found innocent in that court. And then pronounced guilty anyway. Because of who he was. It's an interesting take on history. The Christian historian origin of Alexandria, who lived in 186, died in 253 A.D. After he had studied as many manuscripts as he possibly could, 
it was determined that actually the name of Barabbas was actually Jesus Barabbas. So there was a choice. Jesus Barabbas, Jesus the son of some dude. Or Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. That was the choice. Isn't that the choice today? Because a lot of people still think Jesus is just some historical dude. Some guy. Some traveling mystic. Some man who lived a couple thousand years ago. Good guy. Matter of fact, even Muslims believe he was a prophet. But they don't believe he was God's only son. And they surely don't believe that he was Messiah. That's the choice. Still is the choice. We finally see that justice denied. Verse 22, And then he said to them a third time, There's the final of these three trials. Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. And therefore I will chastise him and let him go. But they were incessant, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. Isn't it funny in the court of public opinion how even a lie spoken loudly can win? Oh, you need to take down those Ten Commandments. They're awfully offensive. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul. Why would we want to do things like that? You see, the louder people scream, even though they might actually be the minority, it seems as though that still garners favor today. They were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, the voice of these men, that he prevailed. And so Pilate gave sentence that it is should be as they requested, you and me. And then he released him, released to them, excuse me, the one whom they requested. Barabbas goes free, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Shouted out, give us Barabbas. We'd rather have a murderer than the Messiah. Oh, don't tell us about this Jesus guy. Give us the world is basically what they're saying. We, we want to have our flesh satisfied right now. And not the choice that people still make. I want to keep my flesh. I don't want what Jesus is offering. Because, you know what, if I take that, I'm actually going to have to walk in the Spirit. I'm actually going to have to then be transformed by the renewing of my mind. You see, it's always been a choice between light and darkness. It's never been anything but a choice between light and darkness. The mob is shouting and screaming at the tops of their lungs. You can imagine 
It's so amazing to me because the crowd of mockers has won. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary. And when you look around this room, this is a room filled with the evidence of who Jesus is contrary to what the world believes. People set free from all manner of bondage, restored marriages, lives healed, diseases, sicknesses of all sorts. This room is filled with the evidence just like the court was filled then with the evidence that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And yet people still choose not to believe. They still love darkness. Pilate's going to go back home to his wife, Claudia Proconsul. She was the actually the daughter-in-law of two other rulers, and she was the granddaughter of the great Augustus, the emperor. And she had a dream. You remember Matthew's Gospel records that in chapter 27. She had a dream that this was not going to go good. There would be problems. Caiaphas and his guys hurry off. Barabbas right back to his same den of thieves. And our innocent Savior goes to the old rugged cross. Now, before we get too harsh on the Romans, or too harsh on the Jewish people, and by the way, much of the anti-Semitism in the world that exists to this day is because of people wrongly blaming the Jewish people for the death of Jesus. The Jewish people didn't kill Jesus. I killed Jesus. And you killed Jesus. He died by the preordained, foreordained plan of God that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and death. That's why he died. Were there some guilty Jewish people in that group? Yes. Were there some guilty Romans? Yes. But if they hadn't showed up, the iniquity of us all would have put Jesus on Calvary's cross. Jesus would have gone by himself. He would have died for you and for me. And though he was tried here three times in the religious court, three times in the political court, and once more by you and I, he nonetheless loves us. He always has. He's always loved lost sinners. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why we love the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we read these words, and Lord, we're, we're humbled. We're stunned by your love. Lord, we recognize that though none of us are high priests in the vein and fashion of the Jewish religion, we have been called priests and kings in your kingdom. 
And the only reason that we can be called by your name is because it's you, Jesus, went to that cross. And you did it of your own volition, Lord. The Romans didn't have enough soldiers to put you on that cross if you didn't want to go. Were the whole world to have risen up against you, were it not for love, nobody could have taken you to the cross. But the simple fact is, you went willingly because you love us supremely. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've never lost your love for your creation. Lord, you've looked at us as your people and you've had pity on us. And you've been merciful to us and kind and long-suffering and gentle and gracious. And your mercies abound and are new every morning. And so, Lord, this morning as we conclude this time of studying your word, pray that there's no one in this room who does not know you. If they've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we just invite you right now by your spirit to convict them of the truth of the gospel message that you alone are the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so, God, we thank you for the power of the cross, Lord, to overcome the deepest of sin. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all of it in Christ's name. Amen.